0: As usual, I asked our guest, Peter Howard, to pound the table for some of the soft season. Peter, who you pounded the table
1: for? Uh, it's a good question. I, I've increasingly uh, started hating players, and I'm more just like <laughs> my spreadsheets. Now, no, um, I've written up a few potential breakouts this year. My favorite's got to be... Uh, I don't have one. I don't... I don't. No, um, I really like Terry McClellan. He's recently dropped about half a round in Dynasty ADP as well, even though he's still being drafted inside the top 12 wide receivers, so there's a slight drop despite the fact everyone still recognizes he could break out this year. He's going into his third year. It's the most common breakout year into the top 12. Most of the players who do that um, have finished in the top 24 at least once, which he did last year. And Ryan Fitzmagic, who doesn't like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. I love me some Terry McLaurin. Excellent. All you Dynasty players out there, follow Peter's advice. Go get you some Terry McLaurin. (laughs) Now let's get to the show. Welcome everyone to The Most Accurate Podcast. I am
2: your humble host, Brandon Niles. My
0: co-host today is the most sought-after person in the industry, Chris Allen. How's it going, Chris?
2: I don't know if that descriptor particularly applies to me, but I'll, I'll go ahead, I'll take it for today. But no, I'm happy to be able to sit down and talk with both you and Peter because if there's anybody in the league, or not in the league, but in the industry that will tell you like what matters and what doesn't and what stuff that you really shouldn't care about, it's definitely Peter for sure. <laughs> and he's helped me <laughs> sift through a lot of the noise when it comes to folks that like to like put out like fancy charts and data and all that. So that's really what I wanna get to like when we talk with Peter today.
0: Excellent, excellent. And if you like fancy charts of data, go sign up on underdog fantasy with our promo code 444, four for four. That's four F O R four. Deposit ten dollars. Get twenty-five dollars in entry plus a pro subscription for four for four. Uh Peter, I Your I'm service. really excited to get to talk to you today. We're pumped to have you. You uh talk all things dynasty. Uh everyone should follow Peter on Twitter at PA Howdy. Awesome Twitter handle. Check out all his excellent content at dynastyleaguefootball.com. Or, or as we know it, DLF You can also hear him on the Fantastic Dynasty Crossroads podcast That's a great YouTube show, I love watching
1: it uh, Thank you so much for coming How are you today, Peter? I'm, I'm a little tilted already Because usually my stick at this point Is to make fun of the fact that you just lied to your audience Like, I'm not a good follow It's not <laughs> it's not a good handle I just got tired of writing my name halfway through Which says about everything you need to know about me Um, I was just like, put a Y on the end of it It'll be fine <laughs> Um and then you know this many years later it like matters and that's upsetting. Um, but like this is a four for four most accurate podcast show. I'm not allowed to like, I'm I'm well out my well out my depths. I can't make fun of people around here. It's, I'm real excited. Thanks very much.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And, and it is a good Twitter handle. But we won't argue too much. Uh, I just listened to your week <laughs> one rankings. I just listened to your week one rankings over at Dynasty Crossroads, which I'll include the link to the show notes. Uh. And, and they're great can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to do dynasty rankings for short-term usage because you kind of outlined that well on your show and it's something i never really think of as, as applicable for in-season content to talk dynasty but i think you do a really good job outlining it and kind of want to hear uh how you approach short-term rankings in a or short-term
1: usage for dynasty rankings yeah uh, you gotta remember i'm basically like a cat i keep getting distracted by shiny lasers and then i follow it <laughs> where it leads and you're gonna like is that what, me talking about the vegas model that i created for week one yeah 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 sorry i i, I end up making a lot of sheets dude i'm sorry sure, no i get and it <laughs> i just wanted to confirm because i've done like three things recently which could all be that uh, including uh, like doing a slight dynasty strategy thing recently but no i'm um, the i essentially i just wanted to stop it i want to stop in certain what i think into how I play fantasy quite so much, because while that's a lot of fun, what I've learned is the worst variable I have in anything I've ever done is thinking I can put together the little jigsaw pieces and, you know, predict the future, like being a little mini Nostradamus. And I found I have a lot more luck if I stop thinking I'm smart and just start looking at what happens most often. So for projections this year, instead of, like, trying to read the tea leaves a little bit, what should happen, what shouldn't happen, I still want to do that part of it that's... Based on regression or based on what's happened historically, but instead I wanted to take out the little assumptions I make about who is the wide receiver one and who's awesomely efficient and so on and so forth. And so instead, it just took, uh, and Vegas lines change over time. Obviously, the closer we get to the season, the more accurate. Hopefully, um, it'll become at predicting what they think is going to happen. Um, And from uh, Vegas lines, you can essentially get the touchdowns they're expecting each team or saying they expect each team to actually score in a given uh, game. And then from there, you can look at the team history and where our expectation is is how many are going to be rushing and how many are going to be receiving. And from there, you can backtrack yards. And from there, you can backtrack who should get those yards. And so essentially, I'm creating projections, market expectation based on Vegas lines for who should score how many fantasy points, all based on touchdowns, which is like the stat you don't normally use for projections just to throw that out there. So instead of trying to predict what's going to happen, I'm more trying to create something that's going to tell me what Vegas thinks is a good over-under for what players should do in any given game. And also that means borrowing all their research, so I don't have to worry so much about, you know, defensive rankings and O-line rankings. Hopefully they're doing some of that. And so I'm just stealing it and then projecting out and see, and hopefully, I don't know how you, what, the many ways hopefully it'll be useful, but one of the ways I think it'll be good is to see where I think it's drastically wrong or where a ranker I particularly value thinks that the Vegas lines are drastically wrong and that might hopefully, you know, unleash some edges for us.
0: I love the idea of taking like a holistic approach and finding different methods by going after a resource that's probably already taken that approach.
1: <laughs> right? Just steal just steal the stuff from the smart guys. That's been my philosophy this entire time. Um, so, you know, that's uh, so how I know who Chris Allen is. I've been stealing his stuff for years. So that's fun. And uh, yeah, why not just steal a whole industry's lines, right? Uh, i
0: love it uh chris we haven't done a whole lot of dynasty talk on this uh on this podcast we obviously around nfl draft time we did some chatting about it but even then we were still heavy best ball because that's kind of what uh what we do a lot of on a day-to-day basis oh you and i uh both enjoy dynasty and we're actually about to start year one of the four for four staff dynasty league together that we're both in i think i'm up against you week one chris uh, and as we uh, as we get into redraft season, because this is definitely redraft season, I want to ask you how much focus do you have on your dynasty rosters? And do you enjoy the medium in general?
2: Oh, of course, I, I definitely enjoy the medium and actually probably too much to a point where I've had to kind of cut back on the number of dynasty leagues that I'm in. Uh, but either way. During the season itself, I try and pay as much attention to my dynasty roster as possible because you wind up finding a lot of the players that you can use throughout the season to churn the back end of your rosters. Like I know Peter was just talking about the like Terry McLaurin, but the guys that make up or that are anchoring your rosters, like the Terry McLaurins of the world, the C.D. Lamb's of the world, uh, Clyde Edwards, I mean any of those like high end players that are typically going to be staples of your roster. You're not really changing. You're not really doing much with those guys unless a particular offer comes along or knock on wood an injury situation happens. But I really care about the the back end of the roster, guys, the guys that we don't typically think have a ton of value attached to them in Dynasty, to, either because they're old. We might think their target share is like fairly weak on their teams or even they, they the guys that kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, like a guy, for example, uh, at least for me, would be a guy like Cole Beasley, who, from a dynasty perspective, might sit towards the back end of most folks' rosters. But given the type, uh, given the nature of the offense that he's attached to, the target share that'll probably be allotted, just because of the uh, receiving role that he plays on that offense, he might be a guy that uh, back into your roster, but useful for fantasy. So it's just like guys like that that will continually be like towards the back end of your roster each year that we don't necessarily associate with dynasty rosters. Those are the guys that I'm paying attention to, like the second, third, fourth wide receiver on teams or the backup running back that comes out of nowhere in order to pick up either passing down work, third down usage, stuff like that. Like those are the guys that I want to try and find and like either put on my rosters. Maybe throw like a you know a small trade to a guy like here and there just on the hope, or if there's some sort of usage that I can see happening, uh, either throughout the rest of this season and into next season, that's where you start to at least build that roster that will either get you through into the playoffs this year or set you up for more success in future years.
0: Excellent, excellent. And since you brought up Cole Beasley, I have to, uh, as usual, it's part of my contract. I have to send out a plea for Cole Beasley and J Cole. To create a collaboration album, please make it happen. (laughs) Called Cold Cold World, the first song, Pay Your Bills. That's what I want. Uh, Nothing more in the world than for that to happen. I love it. Uh, Well, let's do a little mini segment before we get into just kind of dynasty strategies, uh, which is what I want to talk about. Folks, 4 for 4 is partnered with Underdog Fantasy, and I, for one, am taking full advantage. I'll be in dozens of leagues by the time the season begins, and I love the best ball format. I can draft a team and then enjoy zero maintenance all season long. No setting lineups, no waivers, no problem. You automatically get maximum points out of your team each week. Right now we have a screaming good deal. If you deposit $10 at Underdog Fantasy and use the promo code 444, that's 4 for 4, that's 4FOR4. You get $25 from Underdog. That's the price of admission to Best Ball Media 2, with $3.5 million in total prizes. And you get a pro subscription to 4 for 4. This is one of the best promos I've seen in my 14 years with 4 for 4. So take advantage. Go sign up today. Uh, let's do a mini segment called Camp Check. Uh I want to talk about what we're seeing in camp and in in preseason that makes this kind of excited or or makes us concerned or anything standing out at all uh peter i'll throw it at you first Uh, anything from preseason or camp that stands out to you as is notable uh that maybe you weren't expecting to see or any player that's maybe um more on your radar now or off your radar now based on what they've done
1: oh you, you know me as someone who grinds the tape on a daily basis i have so many takeaways uh, the main one being that the main edges in fantasy in general continue to be people changing their opinions by trying to read the tea leaves. Like, I'm mostly ignoring all of this. Uh, to be honest with you, um, so, yeah, that's my main takeaway, that people are still going to drastically change their their ranks and their opinions based on a coach saying someone did well in practice, even though the very next day he's going to say someone else did well in practice. Um, and paying attention to that more and more in Dynasty, especially as everyone becomes increasingly aware of what's going on all the time. So some of those edges have faded away, but those old ones, those edges have faded away, but those old ones where people, when really the best idea is to be last am right. <laughs> and so they want to change their ranks and their opinions drastically, especially where we've been so starved by the end of the off season, we're so starved for football at this point. Um, And that that still exists So you know one day Brian Edwards is literally the new Jerry Rice And today it's Zay Jones I guess Over there in the Raiders camp (laughs) And and so you've got these little micro windows Of people over or underpaying yeah, I know. Every time I watch like a Philly,
0: uh, or I I see anything on on Philly, it's always how much Zach Ertz is catching touchdowns and how much. So, I, of course, I'm I'm now overbuying Zach Ertz. I'm I'm very prone to these types of, <laughs> of terrible true. overreactions.
1: Like <laughs> I like that one though, because <laughs> I really like just uh, the amount. We move on from players because we're bored of them sometimes. Like, I just don't want to hear any more about Amari Cooper. Feels like he's been in the league for 50 years. <laughs> I just want it to be some like, C D Lamb, you're good. Come over here, get in my top 12. And it's just like, yeah, they're probably still good, bro. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. yeah. Yeah, we'll call that the Adam Thielen
0: All-Stars. That's what we'll do. I mean,
1: yeah, but he hasn't even been playing that long. He's just old because uh, he's an undrafted free agent and therefore goaded on goaded. Just I love undrafted free agents. But um, who was it? Oh, God, sorry. A name jumped up. That would have been perfect for that. And I've completely forgotten it. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's all right. Uh, Chris. Um, oh, Antonio the- Brown. Sorry. Oh.
1: It's oh, yeah. really yeah. But like everyone's slowly waking up To the fact that the few times we've seen him played He's still been Antonio Brown And now we're looking yeah. at Tom Brady In 2021 and like Hey, that's, a, that's like The most consistent top three Wide receiver we've seen ever And he's still good We should probably not be out on that And uh, yeah. it's been really fun to watch the market Suddenly shift from being basically a late round Pick to neck and neck With Chris Godwin now mm-hmm.
0: You know what's interesting with me there is is Brown's value has gone up in uh, redraft a little. Godwin and Evans uh, down in dynasty, but I feel like Godwin and Evans are still pretty heavy in redraft. When I kind of think all three of those guys have value, and 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 Brown is gonna is gonna eat into that. I agree with you completely, Peter.
1: Yeah, it's weird. We kind of saw them all after like what was it, week seven, week nine? We saw the triumvirate go to town, and what mm-hmm. was going to happen, and the loser was kind of Mike Evans. I mean, yeah. he's the one who saw the most drastic change in how much he was being used and how much he produced. Um, and, you know, uh, Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown went one and two in any stat that mattered, including fantasy points from that point on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, this was Mike Evans' most reliant season on touchdowns in terms of his fantasy production, like over the, yep. le- the past few seasons. And so it was kind of interesting to see how that, uh, how that, uh, how the whole season played out. Like once all three of them were healthy, and also their if I'm remembering correctly, also the neutral passing rate, like for the Buccaneers, that also ticked up as Brady got more comfortable in the offense. So it always kind of struck me as bizarre that. It was, we care more about Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. We should, I mean, they're good players, but then there's just this massive tier gap to who without all of the drama associated with them could be a hall of fame wide receiver and Antonio Brown, but it's just, I don't know. We we collectively in our football bubble just kind of forgot that there's three really good wide receivers on this team that happens to pass a lot and is also helmed by one of the best passers like in the entire league. So it just, I don't know, it just struck me as bizarre.
0: Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the rookies a little bit. I wanted to get into that, Chris. Uh, we just had preseason happen, right? Uh, it, mm-hmm. it was a it was a fun week to to kind of watch some real football again, even if it was just the starters for a couple series or so. Yeah, uh, those rookie impact players that were drafted so highly uh, in all our dynasty rookie drafts, uh, just kind of want to get your uh, perception on anyone that kind of stood out to you. Uh, anyone that maybe for good or bad reasons i know um, several of the players just kind of seem disadvertised some of them maybe a little less or more so uh, just your takes
2: um, the overall i would say that i'm fairly enthusiastic about pretty much all the entire class i can't think of a, a rookie at least a rookie that was being drafted highly or highly coveted that just completely flopped or like what didn't show out well on tape or even in the stat sheets uh, from a production standpoint over the past like couple of weeks Uh, Because even Jamar Chase, who I'll just start off with, like the the Bengals guy, since I do happen to be like the Cincinnati fan of the group. But uh, Jamar Chase, I know that they said that he was struggling in camp, like for separation. But if you go back and look at his college tape, that really wasn't his game. But either way, it does sound like, even though Joe Burrow didn't play during uh, during the preseason games, that he's not expected to play against Washington. uh, That he is also he's starting to become a bit more comfortable. It showed that way, like when he played on uh, when uh, during the games that they played already. So. at least least i am excited the one guy that i do think that stood out at least from a usage uh, perspective was Trey sermon now it from if i'm remembering correctly uh, he was also not just used as like a first and second down runner. I think that was to be expected. But the number of routes that he was running, like during preseason, again, we're looking at extremely small sample sizes. That was encouraging to see because at least not from uh, holistically, like from his collegiate production, that really well, it wasn't essentially what we were looking for, like for him, uh, for, at least in his rookie season. So I was kind of excited to see that they're already trying to involve him in the passing game, not to say he was getting targeted a ton uh, from either Jimmy Garoppolo or trey lance but seeing that he was out there running routes and being and actually subbed in on third downs in order to continue running routes like with the first team offense and even with the second team offense i thought was like f- uh, fairly indicative of how they want to use him and so that's where you know if you were buying into if you were already buying into him being uh, the 1a or 1b in a high efficiency rushing attack also tacking on some of the passing down work as well. I think that it does bode well, at least for his immediate production and then moving forward.
0: So uh so he's probably not a buy low option. People probably uh buying into Trey Sermon now. By the way, sign me up for the Dose Trey's uh lineup, by the way, with the Trey Lance and and, and Trey Sermon back there in the yeah. backfield. Sign me up for that. That's that's mm-hmm. all I want in the world. Uh but I was wondering anyone maybe uh slipped a little bit like Jamar Chase, you know, is he a buy low option or are Dynasty players too are Dynasty players too savvy for that? No,
2: they're not gonna they, no, the, they're, for the for the cost, sure. no.
0: Okay. Peter, <laughs> Peter you I, laughed I, a lot. Dynasty yeah. players too savvy
1: for that, right? <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna shut up. Sorry, I was just listening and forgot I wasn't listening to my radio for a second. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, let Chris go, sorry. <laughs>
2: No, I would say that the only buy low option I can think of after this entire week, and it's, probably, it's mostly just because he didn't play or won't be playing for some time, Like if you want to take a stab at Rashad Bateman, go ahead. Sure. I doubt anybody worth their salt in Dynasty would at least entertain an offer unless you're essentially trying to overpay and you're banking on future production. But he's the only one that probably might have lost a little bit of luster just because he's not out there with Lamar Jackson. Getting the core muscle surgery is going to be out for a number of weeks. We probably won't see him until let's say mid to end of September anyway. But everybody else, I mean, showed out. I mean, Rondell Moore looks explosive. Uh, the quarterbacks, all of them, like at least minus Justin Fields, you can make some uh, you can make some arguments over whether or not his accuracy like was there. But regardless, uh, I think that all of the rookies at least showed why we were so invested in them and why, at least for the first couple of rounds of rookie drafts, like we wanted to grab each one of those guys.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Peter, any uh, necessarily non-rookies or rookies that you, you think see any kind of buy low based on uh, based on performance?
1: Um, Yeah, just just. Why I was laughing earlier, Jamar Chase is currently being drafted in the second round of Dynasty Startups. I just got a hold of DLS, new ADP, and was plugging it in, and it's pretty insane. There's, like, a strong 2020 effect on ADP this year, like, after 2014. Like, it's it's kind of crazy, but to that point, Rondo Moore is kind of hitting... Um, Rondell Moore? Yeah, yeah, that's the name I meant. I was going to say Richard Bateman, and then Chris covered him. Uh, but Rondell Moore has currently been drafted just below um, most of the other rookies in this class, and he makes as strong a case with most of the ones that go in above him, and he also makes a better case for being involved more early in Arizona's offense. And so I think he's he's been this perennial value, because everyone loves him, but we've got so many of the a tight second tier below Jamar Chase, and that everyone likes, and so he just keeps getting pushed down a little bit. And I think he's making a pretty good case for himself.
2: And hey, sure. Peter, a... quick question on, uh, quick question on Rondell Moore. And from your yep. perspective, is it do you think that most folks might be, I don't know, scared to take him or less enthusiastic about him just because of his body archetype? What we just, uh, I guess, what we've witnessed happen with Andy Isabella, even though, at least to my knowledge and from what I've seen. They are two completely separate receivers, in like how they play, and like how they how they will be deployed on the field. Do you think that's part of, I guess the, I don't know, I guess our hesitance to buy into Rondell Moore? Because at least I thought from a statistical standpoint, his production at least indicated there should be a ton of value for him, even as a standalone prospect. But then if you marry him with the Cardinals' offense, we should he should be the type of wide receiver you'd want to buy you'd want to buy in on, if I'm correct.
1: Yeah, I I think in general, people are influenced by, you know, Team BMI, Team Thick, Big, who looks the most like Calvin Johnson, Chase Claypool, Brando Newt, kind of were the most similar that last year, and they hit as well. And so that puts us in in that kind of mindset for the following year. Um, But Ronald Moore has the best college receiver season of anyone in this class, and that definitely includes Jamar Chase. He, at age 18, he fully beat every expectation Of anyone that plays at age 18 it was a phenomenal season now the problem i've had with Moore is that's kind of all we saw with him. we didn't get to see him play um four seasons after that and that's a concern because when you only have one thing to look at i was going to say data point and then i realized that out myself as a complete fake nerd so instead just one (laughs) thing to look at and it's worrying you know you want to see them do it more than once just so that wasn't random or wasn't chance or uh, just to see that, as they get bigger and defenses get more used to their style of play, that he can still adapt, but he definitely has a great college profile just based on that one year is fairly impressive. People are overly swayed with you know the Calvin Johnson index comparison. He's a little smaller, but he is he is thick, I'm pretty sure someone yeah. mentioned he's he's very well built <laughs> so and he is a little unusual in that sense, but if you don't like wide receivers that don't look like, you know, those big guys—Chase Claypool, Kevin um, Johnson, Brandon Marshall—this class isn't for you. The best of this talent is, you know, it's below six four for sure. It's shorter, speedier, um, athletic wide receivers. And so, if there is some concern over his body type, it's interesting you make mention Isabella because I liked him a lot as a rookie as well, and I think the mm-hmm. Cardinals. Definitely went and got a guy they think is going to be better at playing a role that Andy Isabella kind of crapped out on but I think that was them misdrafting Isabella not them miscasting Rondell Moore I I think Moore can definitely carry that kind of role Mm.
0: my uh, pre-draft notes on Moore um, were much higher on his hands than my pre-draft notes on Isabella were like just I I think Rondell Moore uh, projects better at doing the things receivers do well than Isabella did coming out so uh, if that means anything, my concern about Rondale Moore is I'm afraid, like, he, he that guy plays with his hair on fire. And I'm a little concerned he's going to go run right into Aaron Donald and think he can just take him down. And then, uh, and then he'll just be a pancake. That's my concern. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I know what you mean. Like, um, the, my only concern with him was, again, I'd like to have seen him played more. But when he did play, he was great. Yep. But, um, it was similar in that the only thing the only negative I could come up with for his production was he's such a little athletic freak that maybe that helped him out. like if you are just genuinely more athletic than everyone on the field most of the time, that probably says more about your competition level than your ability to catch a ball or whatever else, the actual yeah. nuances of playing the game. but that's not even a negative that's just made me thinking way too hard about a very good prospect. <laughs> Yeah, he's a I mean, he's a madman on the field. It's just fun to watch. He's yeah, he's fun uh, to watch.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, P- Peter, I wanted to shift real quick. Uh, I-, I wanted you to tell me about the grind. It's something you do on Mondays <laughs> that I really enjoy. Uh, and I just wanted you to kind of share that with us and uh, maybe talk a little bit about um uh, about some
1: of the things you you mentioned regarding underdog on there as well. Yeah, you're just trying to get me some viewers. I appreciate it. It's kind of a lonely no. Um. <laughs> The Grind is just what I refer to as my YouTube channel, but I've also been live streaming for a while now, mostly to the six six of my friends and my daughter. um, And I really enjoyed the interaction. It's a fun way of getting questions. You know, we, we try to engage and maybe answer questions on Twitter, but it's, it's a limited um medium as it is and writing articles is only so good but it's fun to get a live question and then answer it and then they can follow it up immediately so yeah I've just been live streaming every Monday and trying to just talk some football um what was I saying about underdog recently I've been experimenting more and more with best ball this off season and we've actually been doing some when we can some live dress on that Monday or Tuesday sometimes stream to be fair um and uh it's it's been really fun but we've talked a lot about underdog i'm not sure sorry <laughs> specifically
2: what you might have been uh, what what you might have caught well at least for me i would love to hear about how you're approaching at least what league formats oh, right, do you typically okay. do i mean because i i'd I typically wind up in the like the either the 12 mans or the like the 12 man cash games or the 12 man tournaments but have you dabbled in any of, like, the smaller formats? I know that some folks have done, like, the three-mans. or I'd also believe they offer six-mans, if I'm not mistaken. Have you done some of those?
1: Yeah, I did some of those to start with because I couldn't figure out how the app works. So I was just signing up for the thing that I saw. <laughs> and I did a yeah. lot of like, three- and six-mans. And the, every team is so stacked, it really became hard for me to find how to win, if you know what I mean. Like, what a potential yeah. strategy for winning could be. Because, essentially, you were, whoever's going to win those three- and six-mans, it seems... I know, like I say, I've really just started experimenting with best ball in a more serious manner. And it just seems like so much to variance. Like if you can draft Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor, then it's just who gets injured. And if you can draft Stephon Mm -hmm. Diggs and Calvin Ridley and DeAndre Hopkins, sometimes on the same team, because it's such a small draft, then I mean, I I don't know which team's better at that point (laughs) because we're dealing with uh, very much slimmer margins, if you were, and when everyone's getting their same wide receiver 1s and 2s within the same tier. And so, yeah, those smaller drafts were a little difficult. Typically, since then, since I figured it out, we've been playing 12-mans, mostly the $3, just so we can do more of them. Um, and trying to learn I'm not very good at spreading exposure. That's one thing I've learned because there are some players that just seem like an obvious pick and every uh, every so often and so I've got like sixty six percent Evan Ingram and I asked some best ball people and apparently that's bad. Like that's way too high. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> but I'm like there's no one else to take that. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like Um, And Juju Smith-Schuster is way too high as well, because until, like, literally this week, his ADP would have been slipping to a point where I'm just looking for a usable week somewhere, and that guy has serious uh, upside weeks available in his ranges of outcomes, and so he just seemed like an obvious pick to me too. James Connor, not even a particularly big fan of James Conner, but I'm heavily overexposed, because where he's getting drafted, there's just, I don't see who else to take. Um so yeah I'm bad at exposure it turns out <laughs> I've learned that the one thing that I have been trying to uh, and I don't have a strategy and I'm certainly not saying anyone should do anything I ever do but um I've been thinking in terms of how many running backs uh, like I've been creating a list of running backs that if they're there I go running back if not I switch over and um, and I've found that strategy can be described that way fairly well you're not robust rb or zero rb that's locking yourself into an, a like a strategy draft too soon before you see the draft unfold mm-hmm. and but based on these groupings of wide receivers and running backs you can strongly see whether a person will be more likely to end up in a zero running back draft or a, a heavy wide receiver draft or whatever they're both the same thing wait or a heavy running back mm-hmm. draft and um, and for me i have very few running backs uh, on my top five running back lists i'm willing to take the list risk on in the first round before i switch back to wide receiver it's basically a list of three players right now and so i end up with a lot of heavy wide receivers um and then i just tear it like i'm looking for top five running backs and i'm looking for top 12 wide receivers then you're looking for top 24 wide receivers and top 24 running backs and I, so i just zigzag back and forth between these lists
2: Well, no, I think that makes sense, and you you touched on something I wanted to pick your brain about real quick, since I know that you've probably, like, you almost definitely have built the projections or at least team projections. How Mm -hmm. are you approaching this Pittsburgh offense? Because. I mean, you've seen the ADPs for all of the players associated with Pittsburgh. So you've got Najee Harris, and I'm referencing like 12-man ADP. You've got yeah. Najee Harris typically going in the second round. You've got Deontay and Chase essentially going side by side, let's say, in the fourth, fifth round. Juju going in the se- in the seventh round. And then Ben Roethlisberger comes at, comes in at the back end of the draft. Are we approaching this team incorrectly? Because I'm trying to think about either we're wrong on Ben Roethlisberger and the rest right. of and all of these pass catchers wind up hitting or were wrong about one or two of those pieces that we're drafting early. And I, I, that, for the life of me, I can't make heads or tails of it.
1: It's a really good question. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, it's one of those situations. Increasingly, there's this problem in the NFL. Well, not in the NFL, but full fantasy, where there are very few teams that seem capable of coalescing receiving talent. And they're just dominating. Like, if Tampa Bay don't start drafting my favorite deep wide receivers, I'm going to quit because I need them to go somewhere (laughs) they don't have three Hall of Famers in front of them. Okay. I need them to go somewhere where they have the potential, but there's no one else. And, well, there's a lack of teams that seem able to identify it. And Pittsburgh is one. It's been one for years, to be fair, of being fairly good and identifying good wide receiver talent. Now, to your actual question. Um, I think we're playing it wrong. I ended up with a lot of Ben Roethlisberger early in those drafts just because, I mean, you can fade quarterback completely and get Ben Roethlisberger at the end. I mean, you're doing okay for exactly that reason. But I do think we're playing it wrong And for understandable reasons in that whoever gets that wide receiver in Pittsburgh right, we know at least one of them is being severely underdrafted. That's my feeling on it. Either one's going to be in the top 24 and the other two are going to fade a little bit or one's going to be in the top 12 and the other two are going to pay off roughly um, at their ADP. But because they're so... All three make strong cases for themselves in the following year They're all being drafted within a certain range In fact, in Dynasty ADP, I literally was just tweeting today They're all being drafted in the exact same round Basically back to back to back Like we are just not willing to make the bet Wow so yeah. someone's getting a value. Um, Chase Claypool was recently injured. I hope he's okay. I, I'm, I'm sure he will be so far because we haven't heard any drastic news. But it could well be him. He's he's huge. He has a big red zone presence and touchdown presence last year. So he'll have to get points some other way. But you can definitely see how he could function. But you can definitely see how he could function as a top twelve wide receiver. And Very few rookies have a rookie season as well as good as he did. Deontay Johnson had 10 games with 10 targets, which I'm pretty sure is illegal, Um, (laughs) and there were three players that did it last year. Like, There's no way of saying that Deontay Johnson didn't have a good season, even in his second year as a slightly underdrafted prospect. But anything that you can say good about Claypool and Deontay Johnson, Juju's done it better two years ago. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you either... If you want to like, um, uh, Deontay and down talk Juju, you essentially end up debunking your own argument for Deontay or Chase because Juju's already done that. He's still only 24, I think. So, yeah, um, I think their ADP reflects the fact that no one wants to be, we don't have to, and also, um, we don't want to be the one that, say, the other two are going to fall a little bit or aren't going to be as productive because the idea of Ben Roethlisberger is going to sustain all three in the top 24 like he did last year, especially with an expectation of the passing game and touchdowns in general coming down next year um, Mm -hmm. is just a little too hard to swallow. So um, are we drafting it wrong? I, I say we're all hedging. I don't know if that's doing it wrong because it's very possible all three hit a floor, Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the ADP just reflects that. In terms of Ben Roethlisberger, I do think the quarterback is more made by his receivers than the other way around. So yeah, he's probably just being underdrafted, um, to be okay. honest with you. But it doesn't... In best ball, it might matter more. You'd have to tell me. I just tend not to care. Like, I don't think Ben Roethlisberger, even if he finishes as a top 12 quarterback this year, does too much for me. Unless you're like um, Lamar Jackson or Matt Ryan's done it twice or Cam Newton, there's very few quarterbacks that have a... Provide a strong difference-making edge over other quarterbacks, and so I tend just to not care. Uh, yeah, he's free, but I don't think it's going to make a drastic effect to my fantasy team.
2: Hmm. It, uh, it that, that was a good. Mm, good.
1: I want to know if I'm s- s- severely off on that. I just don't see, like, uh, like this Patrick Mahomes season and the other seasons I mentioned. Like, you have to strongly be outscoring other quarterbacks to provide a weekly edge. If you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Oh, and I 100% agree, and that's where it's just. I can see the case for taking for taking Ben like where he's at. It's just with so many with everybody advocating for and the market shifting towards Rushing quarterbacks. I mean, even like Brian Tannehill now, like with his high efficiency Mm -hmm. also Mm -hmm. in the mobility, I mean, he's basically like the last guy that most folks would consider in terms of taking as a, let's say, a top 12 quarterback. But then all the rest of the guys, like we typically don't care about, like Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, even though like Derek Carr had like a highly efficient season last year too. Mm -hmm. But it's just you really need to be able to move the needle as a passer, as a fantasy producer. In order for even the market to consider you, and so just Ben just winds up falling into that category where we just don't care anymore. Oh, you 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 pass the football, you pass the football a lot, and you can maybe throw a few touchdowns. All right, I'll roster you. That's essentially what like what we wind up doing towards the back end. But at the same time, we've been hit with so much rookie fever. It's like I'll take a, oh, a shot on music. Zach. Uh, I'll take a shot on Zach Wilson. I'll take a shot on Trey Lance. I'll take a shot on Justin Fields because they'll start at some point. So it becomes very hard to guess balance out the upside that some of the rookies present with the I guess I, w- I don't want to say guaranteed but let's just say I don't know the uh, the, the production provided by a guy like Ben Rothersberger, which we know is there but how much is it actually going to move the needle which we don't know
1: Well, it's like Derek Carr. I mean, he consistently provides you know a certain percentage of usable and upside weeks, and we just don't care. He's a passing quarterback. He's probably not going to have one of those difference-making seasons, and also it's fun to make fun of him. And I also think, uh, to your point, the market's getting smarter about Rich Harbour's Konami Code quarterback, and as they do, it's like late-round quarterback. That was a huge advantage initially, and the advantage has slowly waned off. As most people have figured it out and started to draft quarterbacks later and later, as most people are starting to highlight rushing upside, Jalen Hurts, like there's a significant downside in him, but because he has that rushing upside, we're strongly favoring him as someone who could provide significant advantage, and so he's being held up by we at least know he can rush. I think currently right now, mm-hmm. and but as the market. Uh, the market, jeez, it's not like I'm a stockbroker, but you know what I mean? As <laughs> yeah. increasingly we are, most of us are aware, go for rushing quarterbacks. I mean, Trey Lance right now is being drafted over uh, Justin Fields, who's clearly a better prospect in my mind and was all the way up till the draft when you know Shanahan bequeathed him the Shanahan bump, and now Trey Lance might be the next Patrick Mahomes. I'm just going to take the under on that, personally. But it's because we know they can rush. And so I think, yeah. again, the edges diminish as more and more people become aware of it. And that kind of, to your point, re- reverses where an upside might be. A passing quarterback might have more... And production more upside Because people are fading them If they don't rush at all I don't know mm-hmm. where that inversion happens But Ben Roethlisberger I mean he's pretty inverted He's given the burden Top Gun right now Yeah Did you get that I, reference? Was that too old? I'm so old no, <laughs> I, I'm, I think I'm we're like the same older. age Yeah
0: I'm old Peter It's fine
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm older than the people who are my age I think it's pretty clear I'm the most curmudgeon-y curmudgeon That ever curmudgeon So yes <laughs> And, but sorry, I don't mean to keep talking so long. No, no, that's that's why you're here. But I'm under the understanding that
0: when I bring a guest on here, like 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 the uh, it's best when they speak more than I do. That's absolutely a fact. Um, also, with the age thing, I enjoy Scotch and movies from the '30s. So I I I feel you. I feel you. I, uh, I do want to kind of get back to dynasty discussion. It was great to talk best ball. Uh, everybody remember that four for four promo code at Underdog. Uh, deposit 10 get $25 plus a free pro subscription to four for four Uh, dynasty strategies since we were talking about quarterbacks and aging quarterbacks uh, specifically I I wanted to kind of talk about getting out in front of veterans uh, when if to sell uh, players and and if you can get a reasonable return Uh, Peter how are you approaching in your dynasty formats right now guys like Tom Brady Aaron Rodgers, who are great and have a lot of value for win now teams but really Uh, you know, the long-term value and the trade value isn't necessarily there. Are those guys you hold or are those guys you can sell for something?
1: Um, I suppose it largely matters on whether you're playing super flex or single quarterback. Just in general, I'm happy to fade quarterback, again, because there are so few that provide a significant edge. And most of the ones who have have been drafted below, outside the top five. We we normally don't get them right, if you know what I mean. Like Kyler Murray was a target until he entered the top five after he had his season last year. And it's the same with Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson before him. And so uh, that's one thing in Dynasty I've learned. It's like just don't, don't target top five quarterbacks because you can replace most of the production later. It's like late-round quarterback 101. Um, and it's rarely worth the price. Now, in Superflex, there's a slightly different dynamic going on there because quarterbacks are immensely more valuable the minute a draft ends. Uh, you, got, you can't trade for a quarterback at the same price you can draft one as. And so there's a slight adjustment to be had there. Um, but mostly, yeah, if I can get Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady, I'm happy not to draft even the Patrick Mahomes, who is a slightly different thing in and of himself, because the hype can never die. It's we, we're so in love with Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't matter that he did regress, and the last two seasons have been slightly less impactful in fantasy. In fantasy, don't hate me, um, oh, yeah, than, than that than that initial blow up season. Um, And so, you know, there's a slight value difference there with Patrick Mahomes. We're never going to fade him. It's just never going to happen. So he (laughs) always does kind of have that value. Um, And rightly so, but um so yeah i think i answered the question somewhere in there yeah i'm happy to get veterans because they tend to play longer than we expect it's like what i was say- we were saying earlier or i was saying uh, someone said it about it's just getting bored of players like we want the mm-hmm. new hotness and like chris was saying about all the rookie fever going on right now like really strongly after 2020 and we just want the new guys but the old guys tend to stick around annoyingly and keep making points and it's just Maddening, and um, but as long as that keeps being the case, we can keep taking advantage of it. And a position like quarterback, where I, I don't have it poured up right now, but I was looking at the difference in having those top five quarterbacks versus the rest, and basically, there's like a 10% drop off in usable weeks. Like, if you have two, you're basically gonna have the same number of usable weeks at least as having like one of those top five quarterbacks. and um, and so yeah, I'm happy to let it fade. and. Take whatever value I can. If that's because of age, that's just fine by me.
0: It's also interesting just that quarterbacks are playing longer. Like Chris, uh, have you noticed that guys like Matt Stafford and Philip Rivers have been like undervalued for like a decade?
2: That's essentially <laughs> been the case because and I think essentially for why for what Peter laid out, it's that we see these rookie quarterbacks coming in or even just the younger quarterbacks ascending and we just want to hop on that ship. And I think the our I guess I don't know, we don't like aging players, period. I mean, unless they are the guys that really do transcend or, like, really move the needle in terms of fantasy production. So it's easier for us to tell a story of, well, I'll sacrifice these next like maybe two years of good production from a guy like tom brady because i can get lamar jackson or i'll get patrick mahomes even though on the week-to-week standpoint most of those guys i mean are going to be ranked like fit like at least somewhat close together i mean tom brady will most likely be in the quarterback one conversation on a weekly basis same with lamar jackson same with patrick mahomes but we want the younger guy that's for almost no reason other than we want the younger guy even though again on a week-to-week standpoint You can see from their range of outcomes that they're at least relatively close in terms of fantasy production, at least close enough for us to justify holding on to some of those guys. But for running backs, it's even more stark because with the age models and things that come out of showing the running back declination rate, like as they get older, we definitely don't want to hold like most folks definitely don't want to hold on to, let's say, like a Derrick Henry or even uh, like Ezekiel Elliott, who's getting up there because of the studies that have been done on second contracts and like what running backs do as they continue to get older as well. We become less and less enamored with those guys after they pass even 24 and 25 years old because we just continue to tell ourselves a story of, well, Ezekiel Elliott just touched the ball 300 times. So I don't want that. I don't want that wear and tear on my running back. So I'm going to move him for, I don't know, insert guy here. I'm going to move him for Miles Gaskin because he's younger. And just we, we, even though the approach winds up netting us a player that's not necessarily like not even going to get us close to the same amount of production, but because of the age and we wind up just completely getting scared off, which at least in my mind is not going to wind up winning you a championship. It's going to be harder for you to find that production, even though it happens to be a guy that's currently on your roster that you want to move just because you think they're going to get too old or. They're going to hit that. Uh, they're going to hit that cliff, and that uh, production's going to completely fall off. Because, I mean, the time to trade away most of those guys, the time to trade away Derrick Henry was probably at least a couple of years ago. Like, what what fair, what fair market value are you going to get for a guy like Derrick Henry at this point, who's lining up for yet another 250, 300 plus touch season? The same thing for Ezekiel Elliott. What market value do you think you're going to get for him at this point on your roster? So by the time you've actually even considered doing that or considered moving on from those guys, the time for you to recoup any sort of value that would net you a player that would get you similar production has already passed. So at least for me, it's hard to justify, I guess, moving on from some of those guys because by the time we've typically decided to do it, it's too late.
0: That's interesting. I... By the time, by the time you do it, it's too late. That's interesting, especially we with a guy like Henry, who had mm-hmm. like uh, he was a disappointment, and then we didn't believe in him, and then suddenly he was great, and now he's old.
1: Like, it's... <laughs> yeah, his breakout and David Montgomery's back to back. They're really weird. For <laughs> they're not really weird. That's. That's just my terminology. <laughs> and we don't <laughs> normally see running fan. breaks break out <laughs> that high, that hard, that late in their career. It's fairly rare. And so, again, since we've seen two back-to-back, I think we're more likely to believe it can happen. And it's not more likely. Mm-hmm. It's just that those two are changing the numbers. Actually, just, just to prolong this segment even though you're trying to move on real quick I was recently looking at the commonality of breakouts and it kind of adds to something that Chris was talking about with quarterbacks like and to be clear I really like some of the players in this quarterback class but something I found is we've had like quarterback um breakouts kind of wave from great classes for obvious reasons you have a Tom Brady area you have and Ben Roethlisberger and recently we've had Patrick Mahomes we've had uh, Josh Allen (coughs) and a few others break out and, but it, it does have this wave-like pattern to it. And over the last three years, we've seen, within their first three years, we've seen at least one quarterback over average break out over the last three years. Now, to put that in terms that might make sense to someone else, we normally see between zero and one quarterbacks breaking into the top five for the first time. And over the last three years, we've seen two, one, and two. So, like, we've had an excess of quarterbacks, no- notably young quarterbacks, suddenly breaking up into the highest levels of production. And I think that's just this recent era. It's not something that's going to continue year over year. This is just this era. And while I love this quarterback class, we might be over have slightly elevated expectations because of what's just happened. If we take an average back from 2009, we've probably seen most of the breakouts we're going to see in this era. Hopefully Justin Fields can just make it one more, but still. um yes, please. We have been overly lucky over the last few years and um, seeing quarterbacks break out into this top five category.
0: So, Peter, uh, we talked quarterbacks and running backs and decline and and, and breakouts, which is fantastic. Um, just curious along the same lines of what Chris Uh, mentioned with Henry and Elliott about their their value being two years too late and by the time you acknowledge it uh, their trade value is is gone Uh, do you view receivers tight ends similarly or is there an ideal selling point for guys like DeAndre Hopkins, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, those pass catchers as they age?
1: Um, And it's all based on individual career well not all based like there's a Mm rule to it but you do have to take each individual player into account for example right now Terry McLaurin is ranked in the top 12 like I mentioned but If you go look at the trades that are being made for him, they're decidedly different than CeeDee lamb there is a hype (laughs) element to value which is always important to keep in mind and the real value of wide receivers in dynasty is that they're going to have value for a longer period of time at a higher level like uh, chris was pointing out with running backs they're basically done in value by the time you get the production most of them produce the most of their fantasy points or the highest levels of their production year one to three whereas you're seeing deandre hopkins roll out another top five season at age 28 and we really have no fear of him going into next year But his value does drop a little bit. He's now being drafted below Chase and um, C.D. Lamb because we like young players and that's because we get their value for a long period of time and so there is often this overreaction to youth that we're talking about. In terms of ideal selling windows... For running back, you pretty much have to start trying to get out by year two. And that seems icky, especially when you consider Derek Henry and uh, you consider David Montgomery and the fact that year two isn't going to be a bad year, like especially for our sophomore running backs and um, that we love and obviously everyone's going to be great. Don't quote me as saying anything else. But um, the value is <laughs> going to start dropping off pretty quick, even if they hit, because we know to expect a shorter career arc And even if we don't get it, because honestly, like right now, um, who was it I was looking at the other day? There are running backs like mid-peak of their career that people are starting to sell off because they're worried about their value dipping, which is where Chris is talking about selling too late. At a certain point, you just have to keep them and take the production because there doesn't seem to be any real value drop off. But if you want to capitalize on the value and production, just to draw a straight line here, it's really that year two. You kind of got to sell. I'll be looking to sell for max value in year two because most break out in year one and their value tends to peak around there as well. And with wide receivers, you've got a slightly longer arc. But again, there is that inversion where you get to around 26 years old and you either just, you probably just have to hold on. If they're productive, just keep them because you're never going to get a fair value return. And if you want to sell them, do it before that point sorry Indeed. i realized i was going into a whole narrative there so i just cut myself off there year two or 26 years old <laughs> uh, if you're honestly, looking for value yeah, honestly, <laughs> that's the Peter, that's
0: what i was looking for from you honestly yeah i realized <laughs> so i wasn't was gonna great.
1: answer it so i just cut just segued straight <laughs> to an answer i was like yeah you you're not you're just talking <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, but now you mentioned like the the year two guys so do you have at least some hope for a couple of those guys that we just watched like last season so i know jalen yeah, rager definitely. i actually remember talking i don't know if it was with you last year or not but i know that jalen rager was at least from an analytical perspective at least a, a darling from that perspective just because of his dominant dominator rating if i'm remembering correctly uh, so like, there's at least some hype like for him, even though his separation and his production out of his rookie season was awful. And then also the same thing for Zach Moss, like where it was the hype for him to take over some goal line work, possibly involved in the past game. And then of course being attached to uh, the Buffalo bills there would, I mean, there's obviously some hype there associated with him as well. So like, how are you approaching these second year guys? Like if you're saying that this is where the breakout is supposed to be, Like, are you still in on those guys or, I mean, are you trying to get rid of them as much as possible? Good question. I was talking about
1: running backs for the second year, but there is an argument to be made that we should sell all sophomore wide receivers who don't impress in year one. Actually, you would have hit more often doing that than not doing that. Um, So like McKeel Harry? Yeah, Exactly. Uh, Mm. You're just trying to break my heart Don't think I don't see you Chris and Jalen Rager (laughs) and Nikhil (laughs) Harry You're just like I'm gonna make him cry on this This here podcast (laughs) And you're very nearly achieving it Um, Mm. But no And 94%, this is something I worked up for an article I wrote for DLF. If you look at DLF ADP, which to be fair isn't perfect, it's kind of a microcosm, but it's got its flaws. It's only based on six drafts of people that are interested in fantasy in the offseason. So it's a pretty good ADP, but there's high variance with only six data points. But based on ADP going back to 2013, if you had sold every rookie that falls even by one round in their sophomore offseason you would have been right 94 percent of the time the only real guy on that list that didn't um face plant as being counted um calls it on twitter or didn't disappoint in year one or that fell by more than one round is tyler boyd who actually fell by 10 rounds and as far as i can figure it's because people be dumb like i have no idea why they did that no idea why he dropped by 10 rounds because by any measure I can find, Tyler Boyd had an amazing rookie year. He had over 600 yards, he had a decent target share, he performed well on it, he scored fantasy points, and then we dropped him by 10 rounds. So that's basically the exception. And so mostly, if they have a disappointing rookie year, and you can measure that any way you want, but it essentially becomes a 50-50 bet, but taking that microcosm of ADP, it becomes a 94% hit rate or miss rate of those that drop by more than a round. Um, And to your point, I was just reinvestigating that, and I noticed, uh, or I was looking at, because that's using August to August ADP, so that it's not just all all off-season long. Mm -hmm. And what I found is Jerry Judy finally, finally equalized. He's being drafted in the same round he was this time last year, which means he's not in that 94% miss bucket. So he was looking (laughs) like another Tyler Boyd, to be honest with you. I have no idea why we played... Played with fire all last season, but we finally corrected it. And Jalen Rager and everyone else that had that you know had a disappointing season last year has fallen by at least one round. However, you do want to occasionally look for those Tyler Boyd. So that's that's taking myself out to it what typically happens Jalen rega should continue to typically happens Jalen rega should continue to fail thank you chris i'm cr- and uh, i'm very very sad <laughs> mission accomplished but you don't want to discount that those tyler boyds happen right occasionally we overreact too strongly nothing on Jalen rega's rookie stats say that 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 he performed well he just had a bad year but if you do look on his like efficiency basis or a yards per team snap or um, yards per team pass attempt or i'm assuming yards per route run but i don't have that one he did fairly well for a rookie in year one on that per attempt basis and and that means there might be some hope he's recently he's dropped by like six rounds rightfully slow after that disappointing year last year so here's where i'm at Uh, I will sell Mims. I I have nothing to keep me hoping about Mims. Henry Ruggs, I expected not to be great for fantasy, but good for the NFL. So that's a confirmation bias confirmed there, I guess. Um, If you like Ruggs more, go a different way. Um, And everyone else, yeah, I just think they're probably going to bust. They're in that 94% rate. But Jalen Rager, I can make some small case that if I'm getting him significantly below where I was getting him last year, like last year is an easy first round pick. If this year I'm paying a second round, a second round pick plus, I'm still holding out a little hope just because occasionally it misses, just because occasionally there's a Tyler Boyd even if he doesn't compare mm-hmm. well to him. So I would tell other people, fade him. Because, you know, taking my own wants and dreams out of it, Jalen Rager is now in a category where 94% of those players never have a fantasy-relevant season after that. If it's my team, I will also freely tell you I'm taking that plunge because it sounds fun and I really love Jalen Rager as a rookie prospect.
0: That's that's I, fun. I, I love that No, that's good. I, I I had like a a whole thing about uh, James Robinson, but I kind of feel like you guys answered that. I kinda, yeah. I kind of feel oh, like well, James Robinson a, was yeah it was like a roller coaster and, and slightly should... different. One. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to talk about him as like a uh, he was like a, a a sell and then a buy and then a
1: sell and now I'm wondering yeah. if he's still a buy. Um, James Robinson running back works a little differently. I think I can do this one real quick. Um. There's one Rashad Penny. There's about a bazillion other high-drafted running backs that have come in and destroyed a talented running back with no draft capital. So I'm hoping James Robinson just got a new Rashad Penny, but I don't think so because Travis Etienne looks good, and I think that team sucks, and I hate it, but, yeah, it's probably Travis Etienne.
0: <laughs> no, that's a great. That's a nice quick answer. Uh, I, I want to do, since we're out of time, um, I honestly, Peter, I feel like I could sit here and talk for, like, another two hours with you. About this, i this, scope. let I, I, I want to <laughs> do maybe we'll do that I do want to do uh one final question uh because this is the question when I used to do the discuss your team forum which is now on on the discord community for four for four.com getting member questions the number one question I always got was uh something to do with the value of draft picks like how we value draft picks what's a draft pick worth uh so I just kind of wanted to ask you each how you approach valuing your own draft picks and trading for draft picks in dynasty formats and i'm talking rookie draft picks chris why don't you start
2: oh so you would said just rookie draft picks
0: yeah just rookie draft picks i'm talking you've got an established league right and you're making trades uh in season or or you know after the season or whatever how do you uh value how do you put a value on these unknown quantities of
2: these draft picks Oh, I got you. Uh, At least during the season, rookie draft picks are like gold, at least to me, because Mm. when it comes to trying to place a value on it, you can't. You really Mm can't. And but the best thing about it is the the best thing about best thing about it is the the best thing about not being able to place a value on it increase because it is unknown. And regardless of how many uh, prospects or like decent prospects there are that are coming out in the in the uh, in the following season the hype continues to grow about that class. Mm-hmm. It could be the worst class, comparatively speaking. Like, the next uh, the next rookie class, even though folks have already talked about it and pretty much every other position, like every position, the prospect's coming out next year, it sucks compared to this year. I mean, the quarterbacks are not going to be as great. The wide receivers definitely aren't going to be as great. The running backs, we don't know if there's going to be at least a like an alpha that stands out amongst all of them. But you know good and heck well that once we get around to February, everybody's going to be talking about like Spencer Rattler or like insert <laughs> whatever prospect here as like the next Patrick Mahomes or as the mm-hmm. next like type top guy. So it's just we know that their value is going to increase as it goes along. So especially during the like in like during this season, my 2022 picks, I'm not trying to get rid of them, at least not mm-hmm. right now, because I know that that, that value is going to increase as I get closer and closer to the season, uh, to the to my rookie draft now once i'm in the rookie draft now that changes at least for me because now you're talking about we have at least some sort of i guess metric or process for evaluating each of these rookies that are coming out what their relative value is i try not to take like my current team composition and what it's looking like too much into account and try and say that well i need a wide receiver so i'm going to draft a wide receiver here drafting for need like it can put you in a bad spot depending on how high the pick that you have so at least for at least right now for these next what it's august so at least for these next like six-ish months before the next class like really becomes the forefront of the dynasty or at least a fantasy football discussion i'm not trying to move any of those because i know that that value is just going to continue to increase as we learn more and more about the next class and the 2020 or the 2021 class becomes less and less of a focal point at least from a dynasty perspective
0: excellent peter anything to add on uh valuing draft picks
1: no chris about Kilda, the value of draft picks and how willing you want to change them really depends on the time of year a lot but a lot of that is your own personal league as well like if you're in a league with me you always know i'm willing to spend draft picks because i'm not very good at training and i hate draft picks because i prefer players so, <laughs> and there's always a specific uh, element to your league that might change that um, but yeah, you should. Re- and also, I've learned that you basically should be drawing draft picks a year after everyone's telling you. So right now, if people are telling you to trade for twenty twenty two picks, go trade for twenty twenty three picks. <laughs> like always, push it a year out. That's where the value actually tends to be.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, I want to just uh, shout out there to anyone new to dynasty leagues. Uh, trade calculators are fun. Uh, No one ever was talked into a trade by looking at your trade calculator. I just want to remind that (laughs) to Mm -hmm. everybody so everyone knows that going forward. Uh, Peter, this was a blast. I really appreciate you coming on. Everyone be sure to follow Peter on Twitter at P.A. Howdy. Go read everything he writes at DLF. Check out Dynasty Crossroads. Check out The Grind. Uh, Thank you so much again. Any last thoughts or plugs before we go, Peter?
1: no guys and just thanks very much for asking me on it's always fun to talk to you and i had a great time so thanks very much um check out dlf i guess <laughs> dlf is who i write for it's a great site and we've got some really interesting articles out right now speaking of what we were just talking about like cooper adams who's fairly new to dlf but is killing it he just wrote an article on cd lamb about why we might be overvaluing him i thought it was a really interesting read
0: excellent i'll definitely check that out chris always a pleasure any final thoughts before we go
2: No, Peter, always appreciate your time and your thoughts and being able to banter back and forth with you. So hopefully we can do it again soon. Thanks, man. Excellent.
0: Listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at TwoGuysBrandon and at ChrisAllenFFWX. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.